This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Small Town Strip Club. Small Town Strip Club? Yes. Getting us started. They provided the music. Thanks to them, great Canadian band. Welcome to Bumsies. Episode number six. I'm Dan O'Toole. Glad you're here. Uh, If you're watching the video portion, Ron is checking things out. He's kind of like uh, the operations manager. He comes like, okay, we're recording on that. Lighting's good. And beverages are here. In commemorative Blue Jays Cup, I'm sampling the Jesse Barfield juice for this podcast. What a weekend it was. On our old show on that uh that network. I always forget the name of that place. R R D S? No. That was the French one. Anyways, I had a show on it and um we do this like a wide world of sports kind of thing where we look at darts from Europe or whatever we we wanted to make fun of. And one of the clips of uh, Jay and I first when we got paired together, I thought I'm 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 on the big time. This is going to be my saying. So the show starts and I'd say, what a weekend it was. And I look back and I'm like, I was such a maroon. So bad. Cringe whenever I see that. We had the Super Bowl this weekend. Oh, baby. Dan O'Toole, Savvy Gambler, you're done. (laughs) We'll get get into that. Uh, First, we always lead off with corrections on this podcast. A podcast called Boomsies. And we had a lot of irate people. A lot of irate people from last week when we gave the listener stats that our listeners were 100% male. Here's a sampling. Congrats on the podcast. I'm loving it. I definitely think the stats you have about 100% male audience is bogus, but that's just me, female. Just heard the stat. That 100% of your listeners are male. Well, despite my name, I'm actually a woman. That's from Fred. Oh, sorry, Lanny. From Lanny. Also, I've been listening since day one. And last time I checked, I was a female. So, stats are wrong. Okay, this stat is garbage. I've subscribed and listened since day one. I think producer Tim blew it in this one. Tim is a First off, want to say congrats on the new pod. 
and know who your I don't know who your stats guy is, but I wanted to assure you that you have at least one female listener that isn't your mom. It's me. I'm talking about myself. I'm female. I live in Peterborough, and I've subscribed to Boomsies. I'm just doing my part for the stats. I blame producer Tim. Wow, a lot of rage directed at producer Tim, and it is well directed. You are correct in being mad at him. I'm a 26-year-old female from a small town north of Winnipeg. I heard your last podcast and was shocked by the 100% male listener stat. I'm a girl. Ha-ha, so that should be at least bringing your 100% male audience to 99.99% male. Love your podcast. Appreciate the corny jokes. Corny jokes? Keep them coming. Hi, I think I'm subscribed since the first episode. And your stats say that 100% subscribers are male? Female listener here. I'm freaking out. I know the stats say your audience 100% men, but my wife walked into my room while I was boomzine. I quickly hit pause, but I think she heard you for at least a second. What should I do? Can we still round 99.9 per 100% male? Your stats are wrong. Your listenership is not 100% male. A 47-year-old female from Brantford, home of Wayne Gretzky. Off the top, I want to know, I want you to know that I'm a girl and I'm subscribed. You're done. Love your podcast, Dan, and I'm a female from Winnipeg. I think your stat machine's broken. Last time I checked, I was 100% female and listening to your pod, Boomsies, is fantastic. And finally, just to let you know, you have at least one female listener every week. Love your podcast, Gene. The Gene Machine. We did it. We've got at least 10. <laughs> for a 98% male. So thank you for your feedback on our stats about being 100% male. Uh, I gave a recipe for Super Bowl chili. I made it this past weekend. I actually made it on Saturday because I went to a Super Bowl uh, party on Sunday. Made it with the fake meat. It was delicious. Um, the Eves brand, Canadian company, their fake meat, you did it. Their ancient grains, veggie tenders, better than any chicken tenders you'll ever eat in your life. Eves brand, you did it. Beyond meat, you're done. But when I revealed my uh, Super Bowl chili, at one point, I said, Grey Cup chili, so secrets, the cat's out of the bag. It's both. It's Super Bowl and Grey Cup chili. Also, way back when, I uh, told the story of how I fixed my dryer in a squeak with WD-40. Someone said, that's not a lubricant. Well, we have a correction on that. From Cody. Just wanted to point out that WD-40 is a lubricant and specifically says that right on the bottle. So to the guy that emailed you and told you it wasn't, you're done. Okay. I think we, oh. And I questioned the term wet your whistle. Matt said, wetting your whistle is an old term because beers used to have a little whistle on them to get the barkeep's attention. So wet your whistle is to have another drink. I'm still going with dry my whistle because I want a dry whistle. I also said the giant Toonie is in Campbellford. 
Sorry, the Giant Toonies in Campbellford echo Bay as the Giant Looney. So sorry to Campbellford, a place I've been many times. It's a little small Ontario town. I got that wrong. I also said I went to the store for salt as it was a wet rain. And someone said, isn't every, every rain wet? Isn't all rain wet? And I said, yes. So I meant wet snow. But isn't all snow wet? I beg to differ because there is dry snow where, like, uh, it lands and you, you can blow it away with a leaf blower. That's dry snow. This was a wet snow. And great feedback on man-made. They sent us, the Boomsies boys are going to be gitched out in man-made underwear. We gave a free pair of underwear last week to, uh, to the Prince of Winnipeg. So man-made underwear is going to be on royalty. Can't wait for his review on that. And if you visit manmadebrand.com, write boomsies in your order notes, you get a free pair of socks. Literally, before I walked down the stairs to tape this podcast, I went to the post office because I still get my mail at the post office. It's awesome. Our post office is so great in this town that before they close for the Christmas break, if you have a package there, Denise will call you and say, Dan, um, don't know if this is a, a present, but we've got a package here. We close at five. I'm like, there's nothing greater than living in a small town. So I picked up a massive box of man-made underwear. The Boomsies boys, Z Money, and producer Tim will be wearing those. They are now going to model them on this podcast. Boys? Luckily, that's not happening. Four Canadian founders quit their jobs to make underwear. At first, I said, you're nuts. Now I say, thanks for holding my nuts. You did. You're not done. Okay, Super Bowl, baby. I remember the halftime this time. It was great. Uh, I went to my buddy's house. Uh, Stanley Cup winner Brian Bickle, no big deal. No, no big deal. Actually, first week living here in Orono, because on the Welcome to Orono ta- sign, it says, home of Stanley Cup champion Brian Bickle. My first week living in this house. I was standing out on the sidewalk. I don't know. I was probably staring at the trees, just smiling. And this truck pulls up. Parks in the middle of the street. Guy gets out. He's like, you Dan? I'm like, uh, yes. Like, Brian Bickle, welcome to town. And we've been by since. This desk that I do the podcast from, his dad got it from the side of the road for me. It was a race between Brian and Billy. The Bickles were in a race to help me pick up this desk. That was too big to carry, but it was only like three blocks away. Loaded in the back of his truck, brought it here. The Bickles brought the desk. Brian didn't make it in time. Um, so, yeah, the Super Bowl, I think I'm safe to say it will be remembered not for the game, but for the halftime show. 
at Bixie's, it was a scene. Everyone was up dancing, singing along. I'd never seen that for a halftime performance. I had goosebumps watching it. Snoop comes out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Dr. Dr. Chills thinking about it. My friend Ryan Field, who works a big news anchor or sports anchor at ABC New York, I think he's at, he summed it up best in a tweet, and I could not agree more. Here's what he said. Could have done without the second Mary J. (laughs) Yeah, hi. Hi. (laughs) Sip from my Barfield juice. Barf juice. I just realized that. First part of Jesse Barfield's last name is Barf. (laughs) Wow. I think we just learned something here. Okay, so Fieldsy. He said, could have done without the second Mary J song and the whole Kendrick Lamar bit. But what a fun halftime performance. Great to see the OG showing out. Felt like it was back at a house party at Michigan State. Kendrick Lamar is incredible, but in a show filled with late 90s, early 2000 throwbacks, he felt out of place, as did the second Mary J song. Give me one more Eminem or Snoop classic. Hell, even that singing Tupac hologram would have been cool to pay homage to West Coast rap. I agree with that. Although Kendrick, he should have played Swimming Pools Check that song out. And yes, Eminem should have played another song. He only played one. Mary J got two. Uh, I was scared for 50 Cent. He was a, a shocker. I'm like, what? 50 Cent? No one said he was coming. How long was he hanging upside down? How, how long was he hanging upside? He's 46. The same age as me. If I hung upside down for more than 10 seconds, I got to sit down for 30 minutes. Because the blood just goes to your head. You're lightheaded. You're like, I, this is, but he had to sing after he was done. At, at any point, did he think, they forgot me down here? I got, I am so sensitive now. I got vertigo from going to the Phantom of the Opera. There are massive explosions. This was two years ago. I woke up the next day, I had vertigo, and I couldn't stand up. It's, if you've ever had it, it's like you're on a, a rocking ship. And I'm like, my kids are like, eh, Dad, you're real funny. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I can't walk. So if I had to do what 50 Cent did, I would add vertigo for sure. Got a text from my mom during the game. She said, I don't see Randy Travis on the halftime show. Randy Travis is a country music superstar. Um, so I'd, I don't know if she was serious. But then it got me thinking. If he did come out, wow, that would have been cool. Snoop starts singing. La-da-da-da-da. And Randy, our love is deeper than the holler. La-da-da-da-da. My love is purer than the snowflakes. And everyone's looking like, 
I guess this is cool. If they're doing it, it's cool. One of the prop bets was actually, uh, so they had squares and everything at this party. One of the prop bets was who speaks first? Like what performer do you hear first? (laughs) And someone at the party said, like, who says hi? We're like, yeah, Dre's going to come out and say, hey, what's up? That's not how it works. So I picked Dr. Dre. Well, everyone picked someone. But the winning bet was Dr. Dre, even though he didn't speak first, but he was seen first because Snoop Dogg sang first. So there was controversy. Would have brought the house down. You know what? Montel Jordan. Even if they had him for a few bars. This how do it. Then Randy Travis comes back on. Digging up bones. And people are like, wait, you're still here? He's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I think there was a booking that went wrong. But just go with it. And then my mom texts before the game, go Tigers, go. So I don't know if she's just f***ing with me at this point or if she's serious. Where's Randy Travis? Go Tigers, go. Are they heating their house with a propane tank inside the house? I don't know what's real and what isn't. What? What are those noises coming over there? Tim? Oh, Tim's trying on his underwear. Our love is deeper than... Dre's just looking at him. Ephraim Salam, who was on last week, gave us our Super Bowl preview. He said, the best halftime performance of all time was Prince. So I sent him a text after the Super Bowl. I said, did the halftime beat Prince? Ephraim, no. So I said, number one, Prince. Number two, last night, Ephraim. Yes. So he still has Prince, number one. This year's Super Bowl performance, number two at number three, Maroon 5. I was kidding on that one. I know there's probably some maroon heads out there. Hey, great band. I never diss anyone's band. If you like music, perfect. Slipknot, go for it. But Maroon 5, when you compare it to Prince and then this year's performance, even Maroon 5's like, yeah, you should have got Randy. (laughs) You should have got Randy Travis. I'm out of payphone. I have no change. Dan O'Doul Savvy Gambler. I said take the over. The over did not hit. You're done. The play calling by the Bengals. Third and one. What are you doing? Fourth and one. What are you doing? You Again, I'm doing the math. I'm like, okay. We got this. You just need a field goal. We got overtime. We can still get it. Didn't happen. I didn't win any Super Bowl squares at the party. I'd never won a Super Bowl square. I think I think I had a letter in one of mine. Like five and an M. I'm like, but 
but there's no letters. They're like, just take it. Give us your money. I'm like, I don't think I can win with an M. Final score, 25 to M. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I have a list of uh, dream guests. Sidney Crosby, Harry Connick Jr., Garth Orge, Seth Myers, Bob Cole, Justin Bieber, Theo Vaughn, David Spade. On this podcast, I have my first dream guest joining me. We pre-taped it. It's already been done. And it's amazing. Our first ever dream guest is coming up. Also, Canadian former Olympian, former bobsled champ, Alicia Riesling, she's going to be here. We talked to her about everything to do with Bob Slenning. Uh, my cousin Margaret came here this weekend. And sometimes it's good to see your life through someone else's eyes. She lives in the big city, the big smoke, Toronto. So we went antique shopping here in Orono, and she just had a smile on her face. And I'm like, man, I take this stuff for granted. I actually, this is where I bought my barf glass. Jesse Barfield. Got these at the antique store. George Bell. I got the whole outfield. Got Lloyd Mosby. Best outfield in the history of baseball. Mosby, Barfield, Bell. Get your barf juice. Went tobogganing, and it was uh, freezing rain here. Remember, it was wet rain. So that on top of the snow... Lightning fast conditions. Margaret got on a sled. We haven't seen her since. She gone. (laughs) She's gone. It was out of a movie. She sat on it and she set a distance record. We're like, no one has gone that far ever. And she is a tiny human. So if you see Margaret, (laughs) let us know. She's a massive Sens fan. She bought some Sens stuff at the antique store. Uh, it was a great weekend. Surprised my mom. We brought Margaret to the house for Sunday breakfast, and she's like, what is going on? Randy Travis showed up. Go, Tigers, go. Uh, the news of the day, before I get to the emails and our surprise guest, Annalisha. The news of the day, I only wanted to touch upon one. In New Zealand, hundreds of protesters were met with the smooth sound of Barry Manilow. And I thought, if I was at a protest and they played Barry Barry Manilow music, I'm staying longer. Reason being, Mandy, I play it at least once a week in this house. Because I change Mandy to my daughter's name. So it'll be like, it goes, oh, Mandy. You came and you, so I'll go, oh, Ruby, you came and you gave without taking. Barry, he's a gem. Underappreciated Barry Manilow. Take a YouTube dive on Barry Manilow. I should mention Randy Travis was the first concert I ever went to. Peterborough Memorial Center. George Fox, opening band, followed by Randy Travis. Okay, listener email, then we'll get to our surprise guest. 
Subject heading cereal. Hey man, listen to the podcast. I heard you talking about soggy cereal. While I don't have a new cereal idea, I do have a product you could check out. It's called the Crunch Cup. Think of a travel mug for cereal. It keeps the milk and cereal separate until you take a sip and it all comes together in your mouth. Jeremy, that sounds horrible. Nick. I totally agree. Tim Horton's lattes suck. Yes, stick with the steep tea. From Wes. Just finished uh, binging your first five episodes. Have to say, you pop my podcast cherry as they've never been uh, my thing. Been a fan of yours since your uh, first run of jail with uh, said network. Can't wait to see your next guest and hear your take on Super Bowl. Best halftime show of all time, in my opinion. Keep up the good work and hope to shake your hand someday. By the way, one of these emails will be the email man-made for Boomsies. Man-made. They're sending one of these listeners a pair of underwear. I don't know which one yet. This from Jamie. I listen to a lot of radio. This is a breath of fresh air. You know why? Because you teared up, told us about two cars not working, gave away underwear, and plugged the Orono store in one fell swoop. No agendas or political b- Just a dude in his basement talking to us and the cat. I may have to go to Orono now. I've never said that before. Like ever. Thanks, Jamie. Toolsy. Kind of a pipe dream, but what are the odds on your next podcast I could get a happy birthday from you? I turned 40 on February 15th. If you can do it, I completely understand. No chance. Kidding. Phil, happy birthday. Bumsies, buddy. Phil. How old is he turning? 40. The big four zero. Your life's all ahead of you. Nothing but up from here, Phil Z. Jesse. Listening to your pod about Golden Corral three years ago, I was in Florida to attend the Daytona 500, and I went to Golden Corral for the first time. I decided to try the fish. Later that night when I got home, I spent the entire night vomiting. I got food poisoning. That was the first and last time I went to Golden Corral. Anyways, don't get the fish. Jesse from Brantford. Jesse, that's the email of the week. Bumsies! You're getting some underwear and some socks. And if you go to man-made, again, they're going to send you, um, they're going to send you free socks if you put in boomsies. Manmadebrand.com. I just want to make sure I got that right. Did I get that right? Manmadebrand.com? Tim? Tim? Hang on. Bear with Bear with me. Okay. Don't mind me. Nmadebrand.com, uh, I think it is. Yep, it is. Yes, manmadebrand.com. We did it. So Jesse's getting these. And um, another one. Hi, Dan. Loving boobs so far. Brett from Cleveland here. I have a question. For you about Canadian intra-province beef. I was banged up at a party and during a dare-type drinking game, I was dared to go do a naked snow angel. Sorry, I know how to read. I just need glasses and I don't have them here. So don't don't tell, tell me tips on how to read or how to speak. I do both very poorly, but I know how to do both adequately. 
It was only 15 degrees Fahrenheit outside Cleveland, and I just got about eight inches of pretty good snowfall. I thought it was a slam dunk competition. Somehow there was a video of this happening, and looking back, I've never screamed giggled like that since the Cavs won the finals. I had a blast. I had a buddy in Vancouver, and he got sent the video. His only comment was that it had Calgary energy. Am I being complimented? Am I being insulted? I need to know. Thanks, Dan. P.S. I've been a fan since the 1.0 podcast, and I'm also a furry Kevin. Ain't lying. We're out here. Okay, so Brett's a furry. We welcome all furries. When someone says Calgary energy, that's a compliment. I take it as a compliment. And someone said, this podcast has Calgary energy. I'm like, yes, raw. Bare bones. We get the work done and we get the f*** out. Calgary energy, baby. So, Jesse, manmade.com. Enter your order. These are Canadian-made underwear. Best underwear you're ever going to wear. Um, they provide it to our email of the week. And you're going to get free socks if you put in boomsies. Are you ready for our first ever dream guest? Because I am. Here it is now. Garth Orge. Hey, 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 Tim. How you doing? Dan, how's it going? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, I like that. That's cool. Garth Orge, you... Growing up as a Blue Jays fan, you were my guy. Thank you. So there weren't many, but I'm glad you were one of them. Do you want to? Do you want to see how much you were my guy? There we are. Great. There we are. I would. I, that's I was a after few pounds a day, lighter. That's after a day of sitting in the sun at Exhibition Stadium with no sunscreen, and you guys had a VIP little get together. In a section, I'm like, this is the greatest moment ever. Dave Steve was there, and I'm like, I don't want to meet that guy. I want to meet Garth. <laughs> Fantastic. This is amazing. And I will go one step further. Here's a game used bat of yours. How did you get that? Game used. It's broken, but game used Garth Orr's bat. That's awesome. Oh, very cool. Oh, Garth. Can I start with your batting stance? That's why I fell in love with you. Why did you, how did you decide upon that batting stance? It was, it was, I'd been in the big leagues and I got sent back down and I was having a bad year. I got off to a terrible start and I was watching TV one day and I'm watching Rod Carew. And back then we didn't have video. I'm just watching him, you know, like a game of the week type deal. And so I'm watching. I says, I'm going to try that. In fact, I'm going to try that tonight when we play. And I went out and took, took batting practice and it kind of felt awkward, felt funny, but I got a couple of hits and I just stayed with it from that point on. And I really didn't know what I looked like again, because there was no video. But uh, when I first saw it, I said, man, that doesn't look like a rock crew at all. I don't know where I got this at, but it, anyway, <laughs> Whatever. It got me a few years in the major leagues. And all with the Toronto Blue Jays. And you were a part of a team. To this day, the 1985 Blue Jays are my favorite Jays of all time. Because you you won the, the first pennant. And Jesse Barfield actually tweeted out the other day a screen grab of one of your games. I'm like, when anyone in my generation thinks of the Blue Jays, that's the team. And you that was were a on. great team. Yes. 
In fact, I led the team in hitting that year. You so sure that did. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. So but um, a lot of fun. That was a great year. And to to be a part of something so special, a team in which you're introducing baseball, you're the first pro baseball team in the city, the country grasped onto that, that you were part of history. Yeah, you know, it, it was so funny when I first got to Toronto that, you know, people didn't know when to clap. You know, it was it was, it was really in the in the ballpark. You know, you used to the American ballpark where it's really loud, and Toronto was really quiet. And opposing teams would come in. We'd get used to it. And opposing teams would come in and go, "Man, this is the quietest place." But as the years passed, and it got louder and louder and louder. And in '85, it was that you know an unbelievable level. How was it playing on that turf? Because it looked like you were playing on concrete. It was. It was concrete with, well, it was asphalt covered with turf with no pad on it. And around third base, they had put two by fours. So you didn't know what kind of, that were wrapped in, that were wrapped in um, astroturf. And they had seams in them. And so you, a lot of times, we, 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 me and Rance would play off. You know, we'd play off put or play way back or play in front because you never knew what kind of hop you would get off that, off that turf and the wood as opposed to the asphalt covered with turf. It, w- it was a bad field. And at Exhibition Stadium, you probably had about three games a year where it was warm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, definitely the start of the season was rough. It was really rough. And the end would get a little cool too, but the middle was pretty darn good. I, you know, in fact, I loved the place. Yeah. For all its quirks, I really loved it. Now, I, I feel bad, but I have to admit this. I had a resentment towards Rance Mullenix because when he was playing, that meant you weren't playing. That's true. Did you guys get along? We got along famously. Okay. He's, he's a, he's a great guy. In fact, you know, I get baseball cards sent to me to, you know, to, to sign and they have little, sometimes they have questions. They say, who's your favorite teammate? And I have a hard time answering that because I have so many, you know, it was such a great group. I mean, from the Latins to the blacks to the whites, there was, there was, it was seamless. You know, there was, it was a great, it was a great team to be on and everybody, we did everything together. Everybody did everything together. And it was just a, it was a joy to be on that team. I remember uh, the first Blue Jay game I ever went to, I was sitting in the right field bleachers. So there weren't seats. You had to sit on metal seats. So I had, a great view of Jesse Barfield. I actually just found these cups this weekend. I got the outfield. There was no Garth Ords. They must have been sold out. So I got Bell, Mosby, and Barfield. Maybe I'm just remembering it differently, but I don't think so. But did Jesse Barfield have the greatest arm of an outfielder you've ever seen? Yes. There's a couple of guys that are maybe, you know, are right there with him. But, uh, he had a great arm. It was, it was I, I, I'll take you back a little bit. We were in Anaheim and Rod Crew was on second base. Now Rod Crew could run. And the, uh, whoever was the hitter, I can't remember. I just remember Rod Crew. The guy hits a lot, the high fly drive, a high fly, fly ball to Jesse out in right field. And previously I told Jesse, if you're going to throw the ball from, you know, to right field to me, keep it on the inside of the runner, keep it on the, the pitcher's mound of, of third base. Don't let it cross the runner because I lose sight of it. 
if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. And so he throws this great throw all the way in the air and we threw him out. He threw him out. I mean, it was deep. It was amazing. In fact, Rod just kind of, you know, kind of cruising in because, you know, 90% of the guys wouldn't even begin to throw it. Jesse gets a little step and, and fires it and we throw him out. And the third base coach comes up to me and says, that might be the greatest throw I've ever seen. <laughs> I says, yeah, it's like once a week with me, you know, so it's great. Um, going back to 1985. So you win the pennant. Do you look back at it and say, Oh man. Cause you guys were up three, one in Kansas city in that series. Yes. Yes. Do you look back with regrets or do you say, ah, it is what it is. No, I have regrets, you know, because my brother was on that Kansas city team. That's right. And so it was like, you know, I mean, that's tortured me, <laughs> you know, the rest of my life. Every time we get together, Hey, I didn't like my world series, <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah, no, I have a ton of regrets. I wish we could have won one more. You know, we, it was, a, it, ah, man, it was just like, they got a call, a, an umpire named Dell Ford, who I'll never forget, missed a call at third base on Georgeville. And it literally turned the series. It, I mean, we were in Kansas City, and it literally turned the series. And the second part of that was, we were not going to pitch to George Brett. And we had Dwell Alexander thought he'd get George Brett out. And George Brett hits two two run home runs. And so, it, it, and then we came to Toronto and Sunberg gets a ball off the fence. With That's the right. Off the top triple. of the wall. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh man, how bad can it get? You know? So it, the way we lost was, it was miserable. Yeah. So, well, I was 10 at the time. And as I mentioned, that's when I fell in love with baseball. And I'm like, I remember, I believe it was my brother's graduation ceremony. I went I left the graduation ceremony to go out and listen on the radio in the car. So I wouldn't <laughs> miss the game. That's a fan. I love that. <laughs> that sounds like one of my kids. That's what they would do. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. So the you, Toronto falls in love with that team. And you said you fell in love with Toronto. Do you still make your way back there? I do. Occasionally I do not. I mean, especially with the pandemic thing, not, you know, right. not since that, but you know, uh, Toronto's like my favorite place to go. You know, it's like, it's, I mean, it's, I, the changes there in the city from when we first went there in 78 to where it is now, is just like, Oh my gosh, is this even the same place? But I love it. I absolutely love the city and I got great friends. I have tremendous friends that I, you know, that are some of my best friends, you know, that we stay in contact with and they come here and they vacation here and we have a great time. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I have nothing but great memories of Toronto. I love Toronto. Well, Toronto loves you. And are you still involved with the game of baseball? Cause you were with the Brewers for a bit. I was, I was with the Brewers and then I worked after that, I worked for major league baseball and then, um, uh, I was doing the, the foreign stuff for major league baseball I was doing like Africa and Europe. And then the commissioner decided we're going to get rid of those programs. And so when they got rid of those programs, I just, I just called it a career and that's it. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. Cause my goal was just, I was just going to stare at my dream guest. So <laughs> there, there's the list. So I get to cross the first name off of this list. And I am so happy that it was you, Garth. And I can't wait to to 
relay to my daughters that I met my guy. And when they oh. can see the joy that you brought me, oh, man. Oh, man, Thank that's you. great. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Oh, I tear up at the... I knew I'd tear up at some point. I'm sorry, Garth. I, <laughs> I should have been prepared for this. I love it. Thank you so much. And I get to say, not only did I meet the guy as a kid, I had him on my show, and I own his bat. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Garth, I That's can't great. thank you enough, buddy. All right, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that made my day. Garth Orge, what a legend. Speaking of legends... Canadian Olympic legend, Alicia Riesling, competed at the PyeongChang Winter Olympics for Team Canada. She joins us now on Boomsies. Hi, Ken. How, how are you? I am mostly great. Mostly Bo- great. Okay. I was up really early watching bobsled, went to bed pretty late watching hockey, busy, not at the Olympics, which is sad, but enjoying it nonetheless. How would you, uh, have you ever been on that track in Pyeongchang? Oh, no, not Pyeongchang. Sorry, sorry. I'm going back to when we first met at the Pyeongchang Olympics. Have you ever been at the the track in Beijing? No. So the thing about the track in Beijing is you're supposed to always do, it's called a homologation, which means you get on the track before any events happen. So people can like break it in and like learn. Cause when, when I'm an athlete and I go to a track, I have a coach that can teach me, you know, this corner is going to go this way and you're going to steer at the beginning. You're going to steer at the end. This corner is really tricky because when you get to the end, you have to make sure you're high enough so that you can haul it off. Otherwise you're going to like tip over, but like really important minute details. Whereas like when you go to a brand new track and you homologate it. So like in Pyeongchang, we had to do it. Um, they had to do it in Sochi. They have had to do it in Whistler. Um, and in Beijing, we were supposed to do it in March of last year. And then because of COVID, it got canceled. And that, so in the Olympic year leading into um, Pyeongchang, we went for a whole month of March of 2017. We went back in September, October-ish for two weeks to get a couple more runs there. And then we went to the Olympics early. So we got on the track two days before kind of opening ceremonies and everything got kicked underway. So we did get quite a few runs Um, the athletes going to this Beijing track. They never made it to Beijing last year at all. They just shut that all down with the travel. And obviously China had some super strict uh, travel requirements um, still do. And so we didn't get to go. And then they did have that homologation for three weeks in September. And that's kind of like, where I didn't make the cut because we didn't have a selection race. So I didn't get to go. Okay. So I'm during this interview or this conversation, I'm going to ask probably a lot of dumb questions That's okay. because I finally get to pick your brain about bobsledding. First off though, I need to apologize to you because the last time I saw you was when Jay and I were in Calgary for our podcast, live podcast tour. And yeah. we were like, Alicia, you want to come? You're like, yeah, I'll bring my buddy. We, we, got like a lot of people there and you showed up and I don't know if you realize the mayhem you were going to walk into. This was pre COVID and we had like a nightclub going on backstage. It was a gong show. I would expect nothing less though. So I had to apologize because I'm like, I didn't get to visit them. We went on stage and then everything was over and now we see each other now. So. 
Well, yeah. And you guys came, I think I remember correctly, you were here kind of in the fall, which was like right before my season was getting underway. Yeah, it was like so right we around were September. Like, yeah. Yeah. So we were more in a little bit of a, a lockdown kind of, I have two sides. I have my, my athlete mode and I have my, my normal fun mode. Mm-hmm. And I was in athlete mode that time. So I couldn't really partake in all the fun, but we were in definite fun mode. Oh yeah. You guys were having <laughs> a blast. And, but it was still like, still good to see you got to chat with yeah. you a little bit, but that yeah, was a great a theater, there. by the way, that's the, the Mount Royal theater. I don't even know what it's called. It's at Mount Royal university though. Yeah. yeah. Some, it's, it right. has a different name, but it's, it's at Mount Royal. Yeah. And then the previous time we met, was in Pyeongchang. That's why I had Pyeongchang on the brain. You came up to our set. Uh, being at the Olympics, looking back, uh, what an experience. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm going to ask you what the experience was like, but just being an Olympian, you can say that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's one thing that I, I think kind of Holds true forever. I have the tattoo. I have the ring. So I, I earned that. Um, Heather and I came sixth in those games. And, and ran you, were, into you. you were like 1.2 seconds from first. That's how close Not even, your sport oh, is. From, yeah, maybe from first. Sorry. I from was like, goal. We were yeah. 0. Point, 0. 0.7 seconds away from a medal. Oh, like my. less than a second. Yeah. Which is crazy. So like that's how tight the race was. And that's how competitive it was. And, and we did great. Like I was... I honestly left that race feeling like I couldn't have done anything better and it just wasn't my day. So I, that's a really good feeling to have. Um, and it was so wonderful going with Heather who that was her fourth Olympics. And she kind of like was my mentor and my friend who got to like walk me through it, but also like kind of provide some guidance, which helped us kind of stay focused, but really make the most of our experience as well. And you got to go to an Olympics where there, no one even knew what COVID was. So it was a, (laughs) an entirely different experience. Were you able to enjoy it? Yeah. So, um, I say my Olympic experience. So we were in Pyeongchang for a month, um, when we went and then the first couple of days we were sliding. So that was kind of like focused unloading sleds getting, uh, and then we, once we were done that it was opening ceremonies and then we weren't even allowed at the track for 10 days. Like I had like 10 full days where I wasn't even allowed near the track um, because luge was going on, skeleton was going on and uh, two man Bob first before we got our chance. So Heather and I actually spent under her guidance was like, you know what, like me being such a sports fan, her, maybe not so much of a sports fan, but just like likes taking in the atmosphere. Um, we, we went to a couple events. So I got to see like Johnny Moe win gold, um, with Caitlin Laws in the first couple days, I saw some figure skating, which I really wanted to see. I was, um, stoked to see them in the team event. Um, and we saw some speed skating before we shut it down. And then we just like basically stayed in our onesies in the Canada house for the next like seven days. We competed late at night. So we, we were staying up every night till like three o'clock in the morning purposely. Cause I like to take a bunch of caffeine before I compete. So knowing that <laughs> when it came to like my race time, I was not going to be going to sleep really early in between days of, in between heat days. So, um, yeah, we were staying up to like 3am. So we'd be like downstairs in team Canada house. And I remember one of my funnest nights of that, all of us were in our onesies. There was like 16 people in the, on these beanbag chairs in Canada house. And we were with a lot of the men's hockey team. And it was the first day that men's hockey was starting. So there's a couple of speed skaters, a couple of figure skaters and Heather and I, and uh, we kept sending the guys on runs to McDonald's yes. to get like McFlurries and apple pies. 
<laughs> but it was amazing. I, I was on, like, I had to watch it a little bit. So I think I had one McClure, but, um, and then because we were getting the Olympic feed on the TVs, we had no commentary because that feed goes to each country and they provide their own broadcasters for it. So the guys on the team were taking turns broadcasting and they were like getting <laughs> so animated and like, and they're just eating pucks. Oh, he blocks another shots. Like it was so funny. Like I was hysterical. I think I cried like three times, just laughing at their like enhanced uh, commentary. So had just a blast in, in building those memories like that and, and just meeting some great people. And then in the five days I competed for two days, but I was on the ice for three days prior to that. It's called, we get official training. So we have three days where we get two runs a day. And you have to have in the world cup, it's just one rundown, but obviously you want to take as many runs as you can, especially on a track that you're very inexperienced about. Like if mm -hmm. we were here in Whistler, I would probably take a day off of that, but, um, tracks that you don't know as a pilot, it's always beneficial to try and get as many runs as possible. Um, so, and those are long days at the track. Like, I think by the time we bust to the track, we're like there, we were polishing runners, um, like testing equipment. Like we were there from like maybe eight to 10 hours. So it kind of consumes you completely. And then you're in race mode and then you have two days of racing. And then I say, you know, the best part of the Olympics was racing. The second best part was my dream come true of walking in that opening ceremonies and, and getting to wear the maple leaf. And then, um, the third best part was the insane four day party that ensued as soon as I finished. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you, you finished the Olympics in Pyeongchang, you finished sixth is we always hear about uh, the Olympic letdown. So when athletes are done, you, you train for four years for this moment, the moment comes, it goes, is the Olympic letdown real? Meaning you, you're left with, what am I going to do now? Yeah, I think so. It hits everyone very differently. Um, people, I've heard people struggle madly to, with depression. I talked to another athlete, um, who came back from Tokyo and she said, she just the look on her face, like she was just so defeated because especially in a pandemic after getting to the Olympics, I'm sure all of these athletes, my teammates for, for sure, like they left November 4th and they're not going to be home until the last week of February. Um, just being overseas the entire time. That is a long time. Um, I even say, if you get to at least come back to North America, you feel a little bit more at home, but being in Europe the whole time in Asia, um, it's just so different. And you get like that almost like homesickness that really kicks in. Um, so I, I know that it just affects everyone so differently. Like some people, some people doesn't affect them at all. Some people get actually clinically depressed and just go into a hole. Um, I kind of revolted the other way where I felt like the year before I had, I'd gone a little bit overboard the wrong way in training too hard. Like I was at the point where I was at the gym for like six hours on Fridays, but then the next day I had an upper and then I would go to a spin class. Cause I felt like I just needed to do more and like burn more calories. And, um, I always like did too much and I ended up getting really sick. I ended up getting overtraining syndrome, um, which kind of like really set me back, especially to start that season off. I got back in time for the Olympics. I was back to good form, but so then I think I was almost too chill going into the next little bit where I was kind of reward, like, you know, treat yourself, but I was <laughs> treating myself a little bit too much for the first couple months back before it took some time to get some discipline back. Um, just because I was kind of just so sick of trying so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think mine hit me a little bit differently, but I, I, I definitely knew I wasn't done with the sport. So I knew that I was going to continue for another quad. 
Um, looking back now, I don't know if that was a good decision, but <laughs> here we are. Hey, you did you did something out of passion. And I was trying to explain this to to one of my daughters the other night. We were talking about we were watching the Olympics. I always try because I just I just love it. It's uh mm-hmm. there's nothing like it sitting down with the family. Um and she was saying, Well, did they make a lot of money at this? And I said, No, actually they like have to find sponsorship to so they can train. And and she said, Well, why do they do it? And I said, Cause they love it. Mm-hmm. So it's- it's That's true. why you did it. So true. Yeah. No, Nane, you're absolutely right. Like it, it just, it also has brought a lot of opportunities and definitely not financial, but um, opportunities just in terms of like where I'm going to take my life next. And always what I thought my plan was is it's completely veered just because of the opportunities that traveling the world and being involved in a sport at a high level and meeting really interesting people. Uh, and it just, I do it for the opportunities and, and sharing the stories, which has been like pretty important. You can't trade that for anything. Yeah. You know, I do it. So I could say to anyone, yeah, I was in the Olympics. What have you done? <laughs> I just do it for that. Let's get into this year's Olympics and the fact that you were attempting to get into it. Describe mm-hmm. your path because you were trying to get into the monobomb. Well, I was trying to get in either way. I was either trying way. to just get in. After 2018, the IOC actually put pressure on the IBSF, the Bobsled and Skeleton Federation, and said, you know what? The women need two chances at a medal. They're pushing towards gender equality. And the IBSF said, okay, we're not giving them four men, though. We're giving them monobob. Now, monobob was originally made for the para-athletes. It's been around for a couple of years and the para-athletes get loaded in, they get seat belted in because they can't hold themselves in position. Most of mm-hmm. them have like lower limb or, um, or para from legs down. So, um, it was created. And then they had like a rocket launcher that like pushed, like it was like a slingshot that's, so they all had kind of a similar start time. Okay. Um, and then, they kind of tried to take the concept of that and bring it to the women. And they played with it for the full four year or three years leading up to the Olympics. And then in January, January of 20, whatever last year was 2021. So they actually described it in 2020, but it was a pandemic. So we didn't actually get access. They decided on a standardized sled that each country would have to purchase their 30,000 euros. And then that, team could just compete in monobob. So the idea was because it was just, you need one person to just rock up and get a sled and do it, then it would open it up to more countries, which that's exactly what it did. So at the Olympics right now, we have the Ukraine competing. We have, uh, Slovakia's in there by herself. Um, we have the Netherlands in there. So those are all women that haven't competed in two men at pretty much at all for the last like decade. Um, and so it, and we also saw teams like I was competing this year against Cambodia and Vietnam teams that never had a winter program prior to now. So it is in that sense, working in that it's creating a more diverse population of women competing in the sport and getting more women into the sport. However, it's the same women that are winning. So it's like, it's not really changing the fact that, you know, 25 teams, women's teams and two men get to go to the Olympics but it's the same of that 25, the 20 of them are still the same ones that were piloting in the two men and mono rather than having it open to more diverse. Whereas like in the two men and the format event in the four men, there's the brakeman, but then in the four men, there's also the side pusher. So it's like all your spares kind of get in the sled for a four man where in mono Bob, now we've got girls that basically go on tour, do maybe like 10 runs the entire season. And they're basically just there moving the sled around, helping the pilot out and polishing runners. They're sled dogs. Hmm. 
So I changed the dynamic. It's, it's very positive in sunlight, but it also has its, its downfalls. So, um, the sled itself is about the same weight as a two man. So really? I competed. Yeah. Um, the sled I competed in was 166 kilos and my two men's sled was 171 kilos. So just, it was five kilos lighter. One person pushes it and you got to push it yourself. It's really heavy. Um, you actually use the same technique that a brakeman would use. So for the pilots, we all had to learn a new skill. Um, whereas like pushing from the back other You're than jumping some from of the... the back instead of the side. Exactly. Um, and then you have to jump in, you have to drive it down and then you actually pull the brakes, which are like in between your legs when you, when you cross the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and then you competed on a circuit that was separate from another circuit, hoping you'd get bumped up. Is, am I, did I read correctly? You are absolutely correct. So okay. I guess. And Cause you circle. were killing it on your circuit. Yeah. Undefeated. I was yeah. undefeated. Yeah. So I, I describe it there in bobsled. There's the a circuit, which is the world cup, which is supposed to be a mix of tracks from both North America and Europe. But because of COVID, they conveniently moved the entire thing to Europe. So like German, Germany has four races. I think they mm -hmm. have five races this year. And tell me that's not a home field advantage. Um, but again, logistically travels and Canada's restrictions were almost impossible to be able to hold yeah. a race. So, um, and then I competed on the North America's cup. And then there's also the Europe backup. So I'm on the B circuit is what I, I how I describe it. And by doing really well on that, I still could technically like qualify through the back door. Mm -hmm. um, the problem being is we put three girls on the world cup circuit. So I needed one of them to be behind me and none of them were, they, they all, you get double the amount of points being on the A circuit as you do on the B. So even if they finish, you know, a little bit like in, even if they finish like 10th, they still get triple the amount of points I do or not quite, but close, close to that. So it did make it my job tougher um, in some sense, but it was a crazy Olympic year with a lot of stress and, and COVID and you never knew I had to stay ready in case somebody got sick or injured. Okay. Here's now I'm going to list off all my dumb uh, bobsleigh questions. Okay. The, the suits that you wear, are mm -hmm. they, do they hold any heat or are you freezing? Freezing. Absolutely freezing. Yeah. Skin tight, straight spandex. And oftentimes the, especially the women, cause we're always so close on weight have nothing underneath it. So <laughs> now have you not said to them, like, can we not, you mentioned you had that onesies party in Pyeongchang. Did you yeah. not say to them, can we just wear these? Come on. <laughs> well, we do wear something similar to the onesies. Um, like I wear like a fleece line onesies when we, when we practice. So anytime okay. we, we don't have to wear the, the skin suit when we're practicing, um, it's, and usually on those ones, I'm wearing like a sweater and like multi tight layers underneath. It's just like when you're racing, you need to be as aerodynamic mm -hmm. as possible. So that's why when you walk to the line, if you, usually the TV camera pans before they get there, but a lot of the athletes will be standing on the start line wearing their full, like, yes, I see that uh, yeah. snow suits and winter jackets and you rip it off just right before you're about to go. Okay. So from your Olympics in Korea, do you still have the suit? And if you do, are you going to frame it and put it somewhere in your place? Great question. Absolutely. I am. So, yes. Um, It'll be, I, and I, people will be like, wait, are you Spider-Man? Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. So my, my fiance and I are, we're, once we get established here, we're both like transitioning into, he was a hockey player and he played for world juniors, um, in 2009. So both of us represented Canada. So we're going to have a bar in our basement called Rizzoli's and we're going to frame our, 
our suits and, and jerseys and have them up and memorabilia. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, I yeah. love it. When you're in the bobsled, is it bumpy as hell? Depends on the track. Some tracks are super smooth and have really nice, easy transitions. Um, St. Moritz in Switzerland, that one is just like, it's a dream. It's so nice. When you're going in Lake Placid, New York, and the whole thing is vibrating because the track is actually like falling down the hill. The track's like kind of the ground underneath is shifting and the transitions are so tight. You literally like get whiplash and end to every corner, even with a good run. And that is not fun. <laughs> um, so when you steer, do you have a tiny steering wheel? Not a steering wheel. No, <laughs> it is a lever cable pulley system. That's what I figured. So, yeah. Two ropes. And we put like rings on them called D rings. And I actually just, I'm not actually steering actively. What I'm trying to do is resist the pressure that the force that the, the sled is taking in the turn of the corner. And when you're in a two man bobsled, two woman bobsled, when you are in the front, is your partner, your teammate saying anything when you're going down the track? Usually no, but I have had teammates who like to talk in the back. I can't hear what they're saying. Just hey, what's going, the wind what's going on up there? <laughs> yeah. You want a uh, drink? <laughs> <laughs> really funny story. I had a, um, a teammate in the back. I have a really cool GoPro video we, where we put the camera facing her just to like see what the brake wind kind of undergoes in the back because they just get sloshed around back there mm -hmm. um, underneath the, we get up to five G's of force. Um, so, and the brakeman takes the, it's like being in the back of the bus, the brakeman takes the, the brunt of them. So, and I guess because the camera was rolling, she decided she was going to talk to the camera on the way down, but it freaked me out because I had no idea. And I'm going through the corners and I can hear her like talking loudly, but I'm like, is she trying to tell me that something's wrong? Like I didn't know, but there's no way I don't have any point in any track where I can like turn around and look and make sure everything's okay. Yeah. So it scared the crap out of me. So I gave her so much crap when we got to the bottom because I was like, what are you doing? Like you scared me. Like I was like thinking, she's like, oh, I was just, I was just talking to the camera. I was just telling him how the ride was. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you don't hit the brakes at the end, what happens? Oh, you can go literally launching out the track. Really? Is, yeah. Not, they don't really. have like a, they don't have a, a ball pit or something you can land in. You just go <laughs> off the track. Uh, literally out the track. It depends on the track. So every track is a little bit different. Um, I, in Whistler in particular, you're going in the four man sleds. They can be going over 150 kilometers an hour. And it, in a four man, four mans are the hardest sleds to stop by far because of the weight. And because of also sometimes the guy sitting in the third seat sits on the brakes or like kind of impedes the ability to pull the brakes for the guy in the backseat. Um, so if for some reason brakes get stuck and they can't get them out, they literally like there's ice that goes up past the finish dock. And usually it's like kind of the emergency section, but we've seen sleds literally shoot up past that. And like the blades, the runners on the bottom of your, your um, sled that you go down the track with, like when they hit concrete, they start shooting sparks. It's just, it's quite the sight. That's but, terrifying. And, yeah. And those, those blades can cost up to 20 grand. And if you go riding on concrete with them, they're done. Like, Hey, they're done. you're done. <laughs> <laughs> now are the, I was my next question. Are the blades as sharp as hockey skates? No. So, uh, convex hockey skates are convex how they have like the two edges on them ours are reverse so because there's so much weight they're concave i think am i saying the right way 
I don't know. Brush up on my physics here. So ours are round on the bottom. They're round. And so when we polish them, we use sandpaper and we start at a really low grit and our work our way up all the way to like a diamond paste. Um, and, uh, you use kind of like the curvature of your hand to try and keep that same shape. And that's, what's really important. Okay. How, when you're finished your run, how did they get the bobsled back to the top of the track? Good question. So usually we will pull it out of the, the canal of the track onto a finished dock. Um, most of them are iced over, which is nice. So then you don't have to like worry about like lifting it up and protecting the runners. You can just kind of drag it off. Um, you roll it on its side and we put on basically giant skate guards. They're called scabbards. And then you roll it back over and then you drag the sled in the skate guards onto the back of a truck. And then the truck drives it back up and then there you drag is it a pickup truck. truck. It's okay. a pickup truck. Yep. And when you have to travel with your bobsled, do you just check it? Is just check baggage? <laughs> can you imagine checking a 400-pound bobsled? Like, here, can you put this in my luggage, please? Like, how do you get uh, it anywhere? Yeah, so we load them into sled crates, which basically look like miniature sea cans. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get, depending on how fast they get there. So usually if, they're, if we're competing in North America and then we have to go straight to Europe, they get loaded onto a cargo uh, airplane. Okay. And uh, then we have to collect them from Frankfurt, d- despite we're, wherever we're going. So that kind of sucks, makes for a long drive. Um, but when Europe, we put them in the back of sprinter vans, and that's how we transport them from place to place. In North America, we usually just load them in the back of pickup trucks to drive them out to Whistler, or we rent like a, a flatbed and put them in the crates and put them on and send them over. Now, um, you once bought a bobsled. I did. You raised $100,000. So two-part question. How mm-hmm. do you raise $100,000 and where is that bobsled now? Uh, so the bobsled is in a crate at COP right now. <laughs> okay. um, Wait, what's COP? Uh, uh, sorry, Canada Olympic Park. Oh, okay. It's the main area in Calgary where all right. the athletes train. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, I, so... Long story short, I was going my first year ever on full-time on World Cup, uh, and the sled that the team was going to provide me was a Ford, and all the sleds that I was about to go race against were Ferraris, and my job this year was to prove that I deserved to be racing against the best athletes in the world, and it didn't matter if I was pushing as fast or faster, and I was driving equally as good as everyone else, if I was driving a Ford and everyone else was driving Ferrari. I didn't have a chance and, um, our team got four new sleds and rather than giving them to two men and two women, they gave them to three of the men's teams and only one woman's team. And so I didn't, I was left out. And, uh, I think I flipped a table on the way out of that meeting when I found out and I was kind of like, screw you guys, I'm getting my own. I got to my car and I think it screamed. Cause I'm like, how am I going to get my own at the time? I thought I was going to buy it the ones that, that my teammates were getting was $60,000. Um, and I, I was working as a waitress. I did not have that kind of money. It's just lying around. Um, so I actually put myself through like a couple EDX onlines on how to create business proposals. And I studied sciences in university. So I just had no experience in this. And I kind of gave myself a crash course. I put together a slide deck and presentation and I was very fortunate that I did have someone who got me meetings with decision makers. So I didn't, I got to skip kind of the cold calling part where reaching out to people. And uh, I went in and put my sweatpants to the side and had to put on a, a power suit and pretended like I knew what I was talking about. 
And I went in there and I just kind of pitched myself and I kind of pitched, you know, this is my achievement so far. Um, this is what I, I plan to do in the sport. Uh, and uh, will you help me? And uh, I had enough for a down payment in about a month. And then within three months, I had that sled paid off. That's amazing. So what are you going to do with it now? <laughs> I'm going to sell it now, actually. Ah, um, see, I had an not... idea. I had an idea. Oh, if you wanted I'm to make to money it. while still having it, you take it around to golf tournaments in the Alberta area, say the golf tournament can rent it so people can all get their photo in an Olympic bobsled at the golf tournament. You can rent it for like a, however much each golf tournament and make some money that way. You know what? Maybe I'll just wait and sell it in the fall when bobsled season starts. <laughs> I'll <laughs> put that to good use. Exactly. Maybe I'll get some free golf out of it too. Maybe that's that would be ideal. That's I, I would need. love to get a picture in a bobsled. People would yeah. just love to sit in it because no one knows what's going on inside it. Totally. That's actually a great idea. <laughs> I definitely could You're do welcome. something like that. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I am here. I'm here to help. Um, <laughs> another question. Have you ever flipped a bobsled? Too many times. Does it hurt? <sighs> oh my gosh. Does it hurt? Um, it's like getting in a full speed car crash. Is, yeah. So a lot of athletes go through their careers and maybe get in a handful of crashes in my first year alone, when I, I was a brakeman in my first year, but I also was like kind of learning how to drive. I was in 12 crashes. Ooh. So that is a lot. Like most people don't even get 12 in their career. Um, I, I learned from the best in the biz, Lyndon Rush, uh, 2010 bronze medalist. He turned around to be my coach and his motto was always cash or crash because if you're crashing, it kind of means you're living on the edge of trying to preserve your speed and, 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 uh, get on the podium. But maybe it was just because I, I always tend to learn things the hard way. And once I learned them, I learned them all. But yeah, no, I was a crasher, unfortunately. Um, well, you said I the like cash to... or crash. So that would mean you're almost on the the precipice of disaster at all times hmm. on that course. Like, do you ever feel like you're in control or at all times you're like, this could go sideways in a millisecond? No, I mostly feel in control, but okay. sometimes too much control is actually slow. Because the more you steer, the more you create friction, the more you actually slow the sled down. So if you're just, we call it, the term is letting it fly um, on a race day. And sometimes unexpected things happen. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they're very expected and you know how to save it. And that's when we do what's called the bow and arrow, where you're full lock pulling the steering one way or the other. But I usually know how to anticipate those ones. It's the sneaky ones that catch up to you. Usually when I roll into a corner, then I'm like, oh, I did not see that coming. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've uh, we figured it all out. Um, but people will kill me if I don't ask who your fiance is because they're all going to want to look him up on um, on Elite Prospects or Hockey DB and check out his stats. Well, yeah. So learning from uh, Wasey Rabbit, I guess we're going right. to Hockey DB. Uh-huh. I, I listened to that episode. Uh, Dylan Olson. Is Dylan name. Olson. Well, yes. he's a lucky man. You're a great Canadian, a great human. And what is what are your plans now? Because are you officially retired? I, I haven't like officially submitted the paperwork, but I can tell you that I'm retired because I have okay. no intentions of competing next year. You heard it here first, folks. So what <laughs> what do you have plans in retirement? Because um, you, you got to be proud of what you accomplished. Yeah, I am. Um, for me, what I realize is going to be very important in my future is staying involved in sport. 
Um, I don't know what capacity that looks like right now. I was thinking of a career in media. However, I'm not so sure I want to move out to to Ontario. No, don't do um, that. You can do media from anywhere. <laughs> I'm doing it from my basement right now. And Yeah, that's true. And I guarantee people are going to watch this interview and they have already thought along the way, you should be in broadcasting because I've thought it multiple times during this. I'm like, you speak better than me and I've been doing this for like 24 <laughs> years. So yes, get into broadcasting. Thank you. That is what I want to do. So I am pursuing that in some capacity. And also I have a couple companies here that are actually headhunting me right now for a career in sales. So one or the other, I will pursue. And, um, and you have a bobsled for sale. And I have a boss for sale. That is true. Yes. It's definitely not worth what I paid for it anymore. Not even close, but. What? Bob's let's go down in price once you take them off the showroom floor? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Especially after they're upside down a couple times. <laughs> they just don't retain their worth. <laughs> okay. Well, you can still do that golf uh, tournament idea. Actually, you can bring it to any event. Anyone yeah. at any event in Canada would say, that's a bobsled. I want my picture in it right now. Okay. Yeah, no, I like it. I do have two things to talk to let you know about before okay. I let you go. Yes. One, I, I took the under yesterday, so I'm very happy about that. Ugh. I'm sorry you didn't hit the, so I know Ugh. you took the over in the Super Bowl. Yes, I lost my <laughs> But I just knew there was going to be too much defense in that game. Um, and the other one is you have a commercial. Well, actually, you have tons of commercials. Yes. But uh, your Bet Rivers one where the guy's like tobogganing down and you called it luge. He oh, wait, first, wait, 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 wait. Because at the top of it, I say, I don't know much about luge. <laughs> that was supposed to be the joke. The joke. Oh, I okay. don't know much about luge, but I've got that message a lot. Yes, because skeleton oh, is you? front and luge is back. So I had a couple skeletons like message me like, hey, tell your friend that he's got to figure it out here because that's skeleton. <laughs> I know. And I already asked you this question, so I, I didn't want to ask it because we were texting. And I said, have you ever tried skeleton? You said you tried it once. I, I only tried it in the ice house. So I actually yeah. practiced pushing it. I haven't actually gone down the track. But okay. Did you try luge? Look. No, I haven't tried luge. Oh, no, I that have, one is different have, than us. I have one question. I, okay. I would be remiss in not asking. If I went down a bobsled track in a toboggan mm -hmm. or a crazy carpet, would I just fly off the track? Not, you wouldn't fly off the track, but you would wipe out multiple times. I don't, you would never make it from the top to bottom. Okay. People have tried it. People have tried it. Oh yeah. People have tried it. You okay. can ask pretty much any person who's ever worked at a track, what they do for extracurriculars. I've heard of them taking garbage cans down. I've heard them taking shovels down, <laughs> but again, people, I can't stress this enough. Do not break onto a track and do this because you don't know what kind of hazards are in the track. It has to be supervised. Correct. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, Alicia, you're awesome. You're going to be a great broadcaster. And um, yeah, I guess we're done. Oh, you're done. <laughs> hey, we're done. Told you you'd fall in love with her. Told you you'd be uh, buddies with her. We only have nice humans on here. Isn't it great? Just get to hang out, have a chat. So thanks to Alicia. Thanks to Garth Orge. And thank you to Jesse from Brantford. For his story about Golden Corral, he had the email, man-made for Boomsies, manmadebrand.com. Put in the code Boomsies, you get some free socks. So thank you for them for, uh, for providing underwear for the email of the week. Canadian company, Spar Sparted, Sparted, started by four guys out of Montreal, quit their, uh, their jobs on the stock market to make underwear. Crazy idea.
but these underwear are crazy good. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. North Coast Band, play us out. To play us out. Fly from Orno in the Audubon Serio. Oh, baby, boozies.